This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, here's what's happening at Right From The Deep. Of course, thanks to all our patrons on Patreon. You help make this podcast possible. And if you want to add your support, visit patreon.com forward slash right from the deep. All one word. We'd sure appreciate it. We would. And special thanks to our September sponsor of the month. Yay, Wendy L. MacDonald. She is a writer and a poet and a podcaster and a photographer and a nature lover. And the best thing here is that she's offering a free gift. Yay, free. And it's something we can all use. 10 Good Habits to Help You Become a Great Listener. And there's going to be a link in our show notes we can all use that. Thank you, Wendy. It's my turn for the wonder, and here it is. My family. My family <laughs> is a wonder in my life because we're such good friends. We were good friends as kids when we weren't fighting, but we were <laughs> good friends with kids, and we enjoyed being together, and we still now, though these many years later, enjoy being together. One of the greatest blessings about moving to Washington from Oregon is that I'm only about 40 minutes away from my younger brother and his family. So if I just happen to be out in their area like I was a few days ago, I can stop in and we just sit and talk and laugh and have fun. It's it's amazing. It's amazing to be close to my family and it's amazing to have the kind of family that I enjoy so much. That's a wonder that I will always appreciate and thank God for. Mm. And now, here's the show! Welcome, listeners to The Deep. We're glad that you're here with us. And today, we have something kind of serious to talk about, don't we, Karen? We do. You know, the world has gone crazy. Every day, we see more evidence of the evil that's weaving its way into people's minds and hearts. Women's sports events being won by men who call themselves women, government corruption on levels seldom seen before, churches being destroyed by sin, sexual or otherwise, respected Christian leaders being exposed for liars and the basest of sins, and on and on the litany goes, what is, not was, but what is good is called evil, and evil is celebrated as right and loving. You know, Isaiah 5.20 warns us about this very thing. Woe to those, it says, who call evil good and good evil. And that's the world today. In fact, they consider evil so loving, let's teach it to children from the earliest age so they can be awakened to who they really are and live in total freedom. And then, as you probably know, if you see anything on the news, that there are just unprecedented disasters left and right. There's floods surging through one country after another and cyclones leveling entire cities, wildfires that blanket half the country in deadly smoke, heat that just makes it impossible to live, and earthquakes opening up the earth and swallowing just tens of thousands of people. I mean, just... 
Just a few weeks ago, on July 12th then, 13 tornadoes ripped through the Chicagoland area, like 13 in one day. It's like a disaster flick, you know, coming to life. Even in our own families, we see tension and division over philosophies and faith. Topics we used to discuss freely are suddenly taboo, and we find ourselves tiptoeing around issues to avoid conflicts. Believers following God's laws are called hateful, judgmental prejudice, and the worst accusation all, or so it seems nowadays, intolerant. And as writers, we face sensitivity readers who tell us we can't write history as it was. Now, let's just be clear here. I'm not saying sensitivity readers are wrong. They can be fabulous. But we also talked about Tamara Alexander and her story about how she was told to rewrite history to fit today's narratives. Now, that's that's a problem. And she told us how that situation led to her choosing to leave her publisher rather than to rewrite a story to make it compliant. But would be a lie. And, you know, it's like we're told we can't write the stories God has given us because we're appropriating other cultures or or whatever. And contracts are canceled when publishers receive pushback for books written based on biblical truths. And it's censorship, guys. That's censorship, plain and simple. And it's running rampant, sometimes even celebrated. And it's everywhere in everything we write or post or speak. It's really easy to lose heart in the face of all the insanity. Christians end up feeling overwhelmed and beat down by the whole so-called cancel culture. So what is the answer for writers who follow Christ? Well, 2 Timothy 3. Truly, that chapter of the Word equips us for exactly what we're facing today. Listen to the first nine verses. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, we're not saying necessarily we're living in the last days, although, I mean, we could be. Jesus could come <laughs> anytime, right? <laughs> so maybe we are. Um, anyway, whether Christ returns now, tomorrow, or in the next 20 minutes, and hey, let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus, Amen. right? <laughs> or centuries from now, these days are indeed very difficult. So let's read on from this chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. And guys, that kind of does sound like today. They are going to consider nothing sacred, not faith or family or truth or God or life itself. Um, Paul goes on to say to Timothy, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, that's great advice. Stay away from people who have shown in their words, actions, and writings that they're working against God. If you encounter them face to face, remember to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves, as the scripture tells us. <laughs> 
And have you ever wondered what that means, right? Shrewd as snakes. The snake has long been a symbol of craftiness and cunning. The Egyptians used the serpent in their hieroglyphics as a symbol of wisdom. So snakes are adaptable creatures who can thrive in any number of environments. I know because <laughs> I see them here at my house and uh, they even <laughs> climb the side of my house. Now that's weird, okay? <laughs> they are also well known for the ability to fit into the smallest areas and attack from ambush. <laughs> One of the most cunning hunting techniques of snakes is called the caudal luring or using deceptive ploys to catch prey. Like, for example, juveniles of some pit vipers and dwarf boas, boas, they have this bright yellow tip on their tails, okay? And the rest of their body is a darker color and they coil in cover, but then they use this little bright yellow tail tip like a fishing lure, okay? <laughs> and this lure is actually right next to their head, but the prey doesn't know that. And they think this bright yellow thing is a yummy worm and they come to have lunch and pretty much they become lunch. So being shrewd as serpents is being cunning and crafty. Webster's identifies cunning as having or showing skill and achieving one's ends by deceit or evasion. Now, before you react badly to that word deceit, deceit and evasion to a certain extent are exactly how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they tried to trap him with leading or deceptive questions, Instead of answering their question and playing into their narrative, he turned the question to what really mattered. For example, when the Pharisees asked how the Jews should respond to the Roman occupation, and you just know they were hoping to catch him saying something against Rome, he responded with scripture saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So let's go back to 2 Timothy, starting at verse 10. But you certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Did you guys catch that little bit of good news just before the evil will flourish? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not may one day or runs the risk of, but will face persecution. Friends, we have to be ready which is exactly what Paul helps us do in the next section, starting at verse 14. He writes, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, we know some of us haven't been taught the scripture since childhood, but don't worry, because God has given us the Holy Spirit. And when we study scripture, no matter when we begin that study, the Spirit helps us understand and embrace God's truths. As the next verse says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Okay, wow, much truth, much encouragement in one chapter of God's word. How do we as Christian writers now deal with our world today? How we stand firm, we immerse ourselves in God's word that he may prepare and equip us because we never know, we just don't, when we'll find ourselves on the firing lines. A good friend of mine once came under fire for supporting a public figure he knew to be godly and good. This public figure had the temerity to speak truth into a situation steeped in lies. And as a result, cancel culture went into overdrive to destroy this figure. In the midst of all this, my friend had posted a comment thanking this public figure for help he gave him years ago. However, somehow... The media got hold of my friend's comment and proceeded to go after him. And as so often happens, this friend came under fire. He received hate mail and was given the gift of trolls. So here's the thing. This friend didn't post back then to take a stand. Just wanted to express thanks and encouragement to someone who was getting beat up. But that was all it took to be added to the cancel culture's hit list. It's not fun at all when that happens, but there's something amazing in this story. You want to see how God takes care of us when we're persecuted? I receive a weekly email from another friend with scripture verses for each day of the week. It's really cool. And as I was praying for my under fire friend back then, that email came in and I opened it. And here's what I found. 1 Peter 3.17, for it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Second Samuel 22, 1 through 3, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. Hebrews 2.18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Isaiah 29.19, the afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Ephesians 6, 14 through 15, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Psalm 37, 39 and 40, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. And the final one was 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I mean, seriously, when I finished reading these these scriptures that had come on the very same day that I had heard about my friend and what was going on, I just sat back and shook my head. God is so cool. (laughs) Those verses spoke right to what my friend was facing. And after receiving permission from the person who sent it to me, I forwarded the entire scripture email to my under fire friend. 
I just love it that God used those weekly scripture emails to bless not just me, which they did, but to bless someone I love and respect. Yeah. Now, there's one other thing we want to address. While we may not relish the idea of suffering and being persecuted in our stand for God's truth, if that's what God calls us to do, we'll do it, right? But what about our families? What does standing means we lose our jobs or lose finances? What if we find ourselves unable to care for our families? How can we let them suffer? Because God commands us to care for our families, right? So how do we reconcile all that? It's one thing to suffer myself, but to make others suffer for my actions, that's another thing. So what about 1 Timothy 5, 8, where it says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Worse than unbelievers? Talk about harsh. How can we do something that makes us worse than unbelievers? You know, this is a real concern, and it stems from our determination in Christ to do what's right. There's no denying it would be terrible to see our family suffer for our actions. But as true as that verse from Timothy is, we also have to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I think here's the bottom line. Your family and friends are not yours. They are gifts from God. He has given them to you for His purposes. So we serve a Savior who, for our sake and salvation, suffered the loss of friends and reputation, was persecuted and brutalized by religious leaders. He suffered unimaginable tortures and pain and endured a gruesome, horrible, bloody death. Remember Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Because of the joy awaiting him. You know, that joy set before him wasn't some amazing reward meant just for Jesus. It wasn't like he was going to get a bike for Christmas. That joy is us. It's you and me. It's that he restored us to his father. He became our salvation. We follow Christ into whatever God chooses, however God chooses, all for the joy of being Christ's light to a dark and suffering world. None of us wants our families to suffer. 
but they are in God's hands, not ours. And if God Almighty calls us to stand for him, regardless of the consequences, we darn well better stand for our sakes, for our family's sakes, for the world's sake. These are hard truths, guys. We know that. We know how easy it is in today's world to get focused on all that's so very wrong with the world (laughs) and to be pulled down in spirit by the evil that seems so entrenched and so in control and uh, of just everything. I was talking to Karen before this podcast about some heartbreaking things that I see are happening to some friends of mine. It's just awful. So if you find yourself feeling that way in your writing, in your relationships, in any area of your life, what we do is we encourage you to step away, step away from all the external voices and that stimuli and focus on the all-powerful God who created you and who asked you to write for Him. And as you step away from those things, step into Scripture, silence, time focused on the truth. Step into fellowship with those you trust, with the truth speakers God has given you. Step into God, even if or when it means persecution. Cancel culture seems scary, but in the light of God's power and truth and in the light of eternity with Him, it's nothing. In fact, it will only come to your doorstep if God allows it. Don't forget that. Satan is on a leash, okay? He doesn't have free reign. It's what God allows. And it means that it will only come to you if God has a purpose for it to do so. And remember God's purpose. It may be for you. It may be for others. You just don't know. You may never know. But you can always know this. You will not face any persecution without God right there beside you. Psalm 23, 4 promises you this. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So yeah, the days are ugly and dark, but our God, our God is beautiful and light and truth. As we walk into each new day, whether in our lives or in our writing, Let's stand firm in his truth and may God, our salvation and strength, enable us every day to say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I will maintain my own ways before him. He shall be my salvation. So say yes to whatever God has for you and for your family. Stand firm for his truth. Know that your actions today have eternal impact Embrace Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at writefromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Thank you.